Let's continue on in our sermon series through the Lord's Prayer. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I know it has been for me. I've enjoyed just kind of preparing and thinking through this prayer. If you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. That's what we're going to be in this morning. There's a pew Bible there if you need one. Feel free to use the table of contents if you don't know where 1 Peter is. It's okay. If it was a sin to use it, they wouldn't put the table of contents in there. And as you're opening up there, remember, this is how the Bible works. I say this every week, and some of y'all are rolling your eyes. Here he goes again. Yep, but here's how the Bible works. Okay, the whole Old Testament says somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts say somebody's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament that we're going to be in this morning says somebody's coming again. So who is that someone? Our promised Savior, the Redeemer, Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole scripture is about God and what he has done, sending this deliverer to come and to rescue us. So we'll be in 1 Peter 5 this morning. Great text, a familiar text that you may have heard before. And as we begin to draw our study of the Lord's Prayer to a close, we'll actually spend one more Sunday looking at the conclusion. That'll be next week. We have arrived at the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there is a conclusion at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We're going to look at that next week. Kevin DeYoung has pointed out in his really helpful little book on the Lord's Prayer, he said that there's a general structure to this prayer. He said the first set of three requests focus on God's glory, his name, his kingdom, and his will. The second set of three petitions focuses on our good, our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. And so we're going to be looking at that last one, our protection, this morning. And another helpful thing that he pointed out was the structure that actually exists in that second set of requests. And he said these last three requests give, give voice to the three things every human being needs, provision, pardon, and protection. You can all, he, all, he goes on and says, you can almost see a Trinitarian structure in the prayer. God the Father is the creator and provider who gives us our daily bread. God the Son is the atonement for our sins. And God the Spirit leads us and fills us with power to live a holy life. I thought that was helpful, just kind of thinking about that second set of petitions there, the uh, petitions four, five, and six. And a cursory reading of this petition could make it seem that God himself could entice someone to sin. But let me remind you that nothing could be further from the truth. James 1, 13 to 14 is very helpful. Again, we're going to look at James right after we finish the Lord's Prayer. That's our next sermon series. James, James 1, 13 to 14 is very helpful. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so if it's not God who makes a sin, and again, our, we talked about this in, on Wednesday night with our confession, that God is not the author of sin. How are, how are we to understand this petition? What, what are we saying? What are we asking God to do? Remember, a petition is we are asking God to do something. We are petitioning you, O oh Lord, to please make this a reality. That's what a petition is. How do we think about this? Looking at Paul's words in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we see three main enemies against our growth in holiness, the world, the flesh, and the devil, internal and external foes. And Jesus is teaching us to ask God to keep us away from the place of testing, to keep us far away from the devil, and to keep us far away from situations where the enticement to sin would be greater than we can bear, because God knows our hearts. 
And he knows how fickle and weak we are. We give in just like that. Jesus also knows that we face a formidable enemy in Satan who would love to take us down. How does Jesus know that? Because he went face to face with him. You think about when he was in the wilderness and Satan comes and just tempts him and attacks him and comes after him. Satan or Jesus knows what a formidable enemy that we have that is trying to trip us up and to take us down. And he's, and he's a father of lies. We're going to get to that. And so another way of saying this petition might be keep us out of the path of sin and keep us safe from the snares of Satan. Here's what Al Mohler said in his really helpful little book. He said, Regrettably, many Christians are blissfully complacent in matters of spiritual warfare. If Christians truly embraced biblical teaching on demonic powers, we would come to church with a tremendous sense of the fact that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He goes on to say, As Soren Kierkegaard observed of the Danish church in his generation, most people sit in church, listen with their hands folded over their stomachs and direct their sleepy eyes upward. Rather than celebrating their redemption from the domain of darkness and living in light of this truth, they are indifferent to the fight. Closed quote. So, what am I asking us to do? Let's wake up. Let's wake up. Let's remember, let's remember both the fight that we are in and also the hope that we have in Christ. This is a sobering passage, but there's hope in the gospel. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11, with that in our mind, this is God's word. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Christ, we seek to glorify your name. Father, please be here and meet us here, O oh Lord. Speak to us through your word. Remind us of what is true and right. Lord, comfort our hearts. Encourage us with the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you might receive all glory and honor. We pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. I know some of y'all were thrown off. Normally I start with a story. Here's the story, okay? I was reading Al, Al Mohler's little book on, uh, on the Lord's Prayer, which is super helpful, and he told this incredible story, and I thought I'd just pass it along to you. He, it's a story of him going camping in the Everglades as a 12-year-old. He writes that he distinctly remembered playing tag in a palmetto field at night, which years later he realized was just the scoutmaster's plan to get everybody tired so that they would go to sleep. I was in a scout troop growing up, and I, can, I was a recipient of that. Like, y'all go out, y'all go out and play, go run around. He would give us a task to do, like go find this or go build that or whatever it was. And he was just trying to get us tired so we'd go to sleep. 
But he says, as he, were, he was thinking about what was going on, after a long day and night, they all crawled into their, into their tents. They were exhausted, and they went to sleep, and they were all you know, just dead asleep until they were awakened suddenly by three loud gunshots. And of course, they all raced out of their tents to see what was happening. And what they saw was one of the adult leaders draping three huge rattlesnakes over the hood of his Jeep with a shotgun propped up against the Jeep. Boy Scouts were a little different back then, I guess. But they, were, they saw these rattlesnakes being draped over the hood of the Jeep, and they say, where in the world did you see those? Where did you find those? And the Scoutmaster actually pointed to the same palmetto bushes they had been playing in the night before. Could you imagine seeing that? And like they were, he, he says, we were blissfully unaware of the danger that was right there in the palmetto bushes. And it was only after the next morning that all of a sudden we went, Oh, no, those came out of there. That could have been us. Have you ever taken any time to think about all the ways that God has protected you behind the scenes over the course of your life? I bet if all of a sudden you got insight into all of the ways that the Lord has been protecting you, you probably wouldn't believe it. That it would be so fascinating to think of all the ways that the Lord has protected you behind the scenes from ruin and trouble and hurt. Now, does that mean that the Christian life is one that no trouble and hurt or anything exists? No, those things exist in a fallen and broken world. But have you ever actually taken a few moments to think about all the ways that the Lord has had your back throughout your life, watching over you? When we think about the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, I want us to see two important things. These are going to be our main points if you're a note-taking type of person. Two big points. Number one, the undeniable reality of the fight that we are in. The undeniable reality of the fight that we are in. Number two, the unshakable hope that we have in the midst of that fight. So we're going to look at the undeniable reality of the fight that we're in and our unshakable hope in the midst of that fight. I hope that's helpful for you. Let's look at that first point, the undeniable reality of the fight that we're all in. At the beginning of chapter 5, the Apostle Peter offers a series of exhortations to the elders of the church to humility before God and others. And even as I went back and reread these instructions and exhortations to the elders, it still packs a punch. I read them and go, ugh, who am I? Ugh, it just hurts. Those things still pack a punch. And in verses 5 to 7, Peter shifts his attention to those who are under the care of those elders and calls them to humility and trust in the Lord's providence. Look at verse 8. Peter then issues some general commands to God's people, and he's brutally honest about the true spiritual situation. He calls God's people to be sober-minded, even-tempered. He calls them to be watchful, to be actively focused. And it's like, in many ways, what he's saying, what he's calling us to do is say, remember that rattlesnake that's coiled up in those palmetto bushes. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Have you ever had a snake crawl through your yard? You're paying attention to that thing, aren't you? You're wondering, how's this going to work out? You're actively focused in following that thing and making sure that it's not going to come after you. But that's what, that's what Peter's asking us to do. Wake up. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be mindful. This is an active posture. Why? We'll find out in a second. 
The thing that we need to realize is that when Peter is calling us to this, we need to remember the sinfulness of sin. That sin does not have our best interests at heart. We are actively called to fight against it, to mortify the flesh, to mortify our sin, to fight against it, to seek to put it to death by the help of the Holy Spirit because it's seeking to wipe us out. The sinfulness of sin. Here's what David Helms said in his commentary. He said, these commands are embedded in Peter's rich personal history. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter had gone with him into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And on that fateful night, with all the world hanging in a balance, Peter slept. His mind wasn't ready for battle. His body wasn't prepared to be watchful. And as a result, he was ill-equipped to resist temptation when it came to him. And so why in the world should we be sober-minded and watchful? Why? Well, Peter tells us in the second half of verse 8, he says, Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's scary when you think about it. That's a scary picture. And this image of Satan as a lion is jarring because we also know that Jesus is referred to the Lion of Judah. And what we're reminded of, though, is while Satan may be strong, he's always just the cheap counterfeit. He's always the cheap counterfeit that we see in the Scripture. But notice that he's roaring. There's something you might know about lions, and lions have always been feared as apex predators, and they've earned the nickname the king of the jungle. And when male lions get hungry, what do they do? They roar. Kind of like guys when we get hungry. Roar. But they roar. And so the devil is always hungry for the ruin of souls, and that gnawing hunger drives him to use all the tools at his disposal. Here's what William Harrell said. He said, The devil prefers to throw some accusations against us to discourage us or to hurl some tempting thought or troubling fear at us so that we stumble and lose our standing in the Lord. And Jesus himself calls Satan the father of lies in John 8:44. See, we give the devil a little too, we don't, we don't give him as much credit, do we? He's the father of lies. He's an accuser and he's deceitful. And he is longing and working to try to trip the people of God up. And you, we have to remember the sinfulness of sin. We have to remember the reality of Satan's power and presence. We need to remember the spiritual warfare that the Bible calls us to just be sober-minded and to think about. There is a war for our hearts and souls going on at every single moment. And do you think that you have the power in and of yourself to take the devil on all by yourself? You are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And I bet when you think about this, though, you, I bet some of you right now, uh, even those who trust in Christ, are going through your memories and recalling times when you have given in to temptation and to sin. It probably doesn't take that long to think about all the ways that we've given in. And you might be thinking, well, what about that one? Uh, does that one affect my standing with the Lord? What about that one? How about that one? We're all thinking about ways that we have all given in to temptation. And I hear it all the time, especially when I drive to church on a Sunday morning. Every single week when I come and I drive, I'm hearing this. Who are you to pastor a church? You hypocrite. You're a fraud. None of them like you anyway. Think about the ones who have left. It's all your fault. 
wrestling, wrestling. I tell people I doubt my call the most when I crank my truck up on a Sunday morning and head over here. Like, who am I to do this? And anyone who's been in any sort of pastoral ministry or any ministry whatsoever, we're constantly going, who am I? Who am I to do this? And I, and I feel the assault of Satan, especially on a Sunday morning, just crushing, like crushing discouragement. And all that to do, all, I tell you that, it's like, I feel it too. <laughs> Please pray for me, <laughs> especially on a Sunday morning. And I bet when you think about it in many ways, you, you have heard similar accusations, have you not? And you've been tempted to believe them. Well, what about that one? Well, what about that one? You hypocrite. You're a fraud. You're a fake. You're a phony. You've probably heard those similar accusations. You've been tempted even to believe them. You may have heard of a guy's name's Martin Luther. He was a 16th century German reformer. He was known for his late night struggle sessions with the accusations of Satan. And there's kind of a story of him one day in the midst of, of wrestling and fighting, actually picking up his inkwell and throwing it against the wall in the direction of the voice or whatever that he heard. And that he threw his inkwell against the wall and his wrestling with, with Satan. And he would go on and later write this, and this is a great quote. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, and what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and where he is, I shall also be. What of it? Think about, we were even going through our membership class or an inquirer's class this morning. We said, what's vow number one to join Grace Press and to join the PCA? What do you have to admit about yourself? Your sin, that yes, all of it's true. Every bit of it. And y'all don't even know the half of it. As you know, the older we get, the better we just get at hiding our sin. We just get more sneaky about it, don't we? We're just more kind of, we're, we're kind of more crafty in the way that, that we handle it, right? If you look at little kids, don't you love how just wonderfully, brutally honest they are? Like, if they, if they don't like you, what are they going to say? <laughs> I don't like you. Okay, but the older we get, we might not like somebody, but we get really crafty at trying to cover it up, right? But the same heart struggle is there. And the amazing thing about the gospel is that it frees us up to say, yes, every bit of that's true. Yes, that's true about me. I have done that. I have said that. I am a hypocrite. All of it's true. Every bit of it's true. Do you have that honesty about yourself to just admit your failures and faults before the Lord? Are you still trying to keep this carefully crafted chameleon image about yourself? The gospel frees you to admit your sin and say, yes, it's true. Every bit of it's true. And this is why we can pray this petition and have hope, because we don't serve the counterfeit lion, do we? We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the real deal. And so here's the second point, okay? Our unshakable hope in the midst of the fight, the undeniable reality of the fight that we're all in against Satan, who's like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Wake up and understand that fight. Wake up. Be sober-minded and watchful about that. But don't do so without hope, because there's hope in Christ. That's our second point. The unshakable hope in the midst of that fight. Look at verse 9. 
Our standing is sure because our pardon has been purchased at the cross. For those who trust in Christ, the reality of your sin is 100% true. It's really that bad. But the reality of your redemption is also 100% true. Because of Christ, no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. All of the bad stuff, 100% true. But because of Christ, it's all been paid for. That is hope, ladies and gentlemen. John 10, 27 to 30. Don't believe me? Here's the words of Christ. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's hope. The question then is, do you know this king? Do you know the real lion? Or... Are you tired of Satan holding your sin over your head and threatening to make it public? He says, I'll get you with this one. Are you tired of that feeling? Look to Christ. Say, yes, I'm a big sinner. Every bit of it's true. Yes, it's true. But I have a bigger Savior. Do you know this Savior? Do you know this Jesus? Or are you still content to follow the lying counterfeit and listen to him instead. Look to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Wake up. Be sober-minded. Stop napping your way through your spiritual life and being content to not grow, to not be challenged, to not learn, to just throw it in neutral and coast. Your adversary has you right where he wants you to be. Don't coast. Don't say, oh, I don't need to learn all that stuff. Oh, I don't need to grow. I'm fine just by myself. Your adversary has you right where he wants you. Be sober-minded about that. Be aware of that. Don't give in to the temptation to grumble and complain about everything. Don't give in to the temptation to shut other people out. Don't give in to the temptation to believe the lies of Satan. We're asking, Lord, protect us from temptation and deliver us from the lies of the evil one. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Re resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a promise, ladies and gentlemen. Look to Christ and rest in him. So what does the first half of verse 9 tell us to do? Did you notice that? It says, be firm in your faith. Resist him. Not firm in your own strength to resist the devil on your own. You wouldn't last five seconds by yourself. But there is hope not in the, not in the amount of your faith. There is hope in the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who took Satan head on and won. What is the sign? that we're serving the real and true Lord, the real lion, the empty tomb. The empty tomb is a sign of Satan's defeat. And by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, it is the sign of your eternal security with the risen Savior. Why? Because that snake's head has been crushed. But in his final death throes, he's seeking to take God's people down with him, but your good shepherd won't let that happen because he said, I gotcha. And we can say, not today, Satan. Not today. Because I am with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he holds on to me. He holds fast to me. 
What if the Christian life was all about how, how tightly you hold on to the Lord? We'd all be in big trouble, wouldn't we? It's not how tightly you hold on to Christ. He holds on to you. And you're trying to wiggle out the whole time. You say, I got you. Because I know you and I love you. Rest in Christ. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. It's the same fastball every week, is it not? Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Look at the second half of verse 9. You see there in verse 9 it says, Resist him, firm in your faith. And then what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What that reminds us of is that there is hope in the community of faith. We don't do this by ourselves. We do this in conjunction with other people. Again, David Helm. Quote, you are to cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. And now you are encouraged to resist knowing that others are sharing in this with you. What a buoyant word for those early outpost churches of Peter's day. What an uplifting word for us as well. Around the globe, Christian brothers and sisters are sharing in this battle with you, end quote. Your brothers and sisters in the faith, your brothers and sisters look around in this room, ladies and gentlemen. We fight together. We encourage each other together. We do this as a family. Isn't that amazing just how radically community-oriented Christians are? Think about this. We think it's a great idea once a week to get together, at least once a week. Here at Grace Press, we get together lots, at least twice. If you come on Wednesday night, there's a lot of just doing stuff together because there's safety in the pack, right? And so if we see someone slipping or falling behind, what do we do? We don't leave them over there to get eaten by the lion. No, we go and we, we gather them up and we say, come on and let's do this together and encourage each other and let's bind up our wounds and let's, let's walk together. It's amazing when you think about it. But Satan is a liar and a cheat and a counterfeit and an accuser. And Satan wants to lie to you and tell you that you're all alone. But ladies and gentlemen, you are not. Satan wants you to think, well, nobody else really has that sin problem. <laughs> yeah, they do. You're not by yourself. Satan wants to lie and tell you that you're the only one suffering. You're not. You're not. Psalm 27, 1 through 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Yes, life is often hard, but you're never alone. So look to Christ. Yes, our world is broken and our knees often get weak, but there's always hope in Christ. Yes, evil and suffering exist in our fallen and broken world, but they do not have the final word. Look to Christ. Yes, temptation will surround us. And yes, you will probably give in to it because you're weak, just like me. We all are, but yet there's hope in the gospel. God is faithful. Look to Christ. Rest in Christ. We go with repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry I did again. Lord, help me by your grace to please turn from that and to rush after you. Lord, please work that into my heart. I need that help. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is some great, great news. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Why should we keep fighting? Why? 
Why should we care? Because Christ took the fight to the gates of hell first and he walked out victorious and he calls us to fight and to follow him until he calls us home. That's why. Because Jesus took the fight directly to the gates of hell and he won. And now we rest and we wait for his return and he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all the sad things come untrue. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a reality that will happen in real space and time because our Lord has been faithful to his promises up until this point and he has promised that that's going to happen and you can take it to the bank that he's going to be good on it. And so even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our temptation, even in the midst of our weakness and our brokenness and our fallenness, the Lord is our shepherd and he walks with us. And if you are in Christ, your sin debt has been paid for. It has been nailed to the cross. It has been done away with as Jesus died in your place. And now, by grace alone, you're freed up to fight. And let's do it. Let's encourage each other. Let's not be like the world that seeks to snipe each other and take each other out. Dog eat dog. That's not how a Christian church works, ladies and gentlemen. It's a family. We do it together. Let's fight together. So what waits for us on the other side of this fight? We got this fight, right? Ugh, it's so hard. What awaits for us on the other side of that fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil? Listen again to the great promises Peter lists in our passage to fellow soldiers in the fight of faith as we close. Just look at the last two verses, 10 and 11. This is what we're going to use to close. Listen up. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your good king sits on the throne and he sees you and he loves you and he knows you. And he is going to do whatever it takes to bring you all the way home. And so we're asking, Lord, please, in the sixth petition, Lord, keep us away from those places of temptation. Give me the wisdom to say no to those things. Lord, help me in that fight. Help me to resist that temptation and keep me far away from the slings and arrows and darts and accusations of the evil one. That's what we're praying. And the amazing thing about that is the answer is not, will you go do it all on your own? That's not the answer. The answer is look to Christ and find hope and encouragement that you're not alone. Isn't that good news? Let's look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You've given us passages like this. They're hard to read when we think about our adversary who's prowling around. But Lord, that adversary is just a cheap counterfeit, a cheap knockoff, soon to be taken care of. And so Lord, help us to resist those accusations. Help us to resist places where we would be tempted. Help us to say no sometimes and fight back. Lord, help us to trust you in the midst of that fight. Thank you for the end unshakable hope that we have in the midst of that fight, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That if we are in Christ, it is finished. Our 
justification before you. It's done. And Lord, help us to walk with hope and grace and mercy. Lord, help us to encourage each other in the midst of a, a broken and fallen world. Lord, help us to bind up each other's wounds. Lord, help us to work and move together as a family, trusting and confiding in your grace and your mercy. And help us to look with great hope to that day when you will return and you will make all things new. I can't wait. But Lord, in the midst of it, Lord, we are grateful for your covenant faithfulness. Encourage our hearts. Lord, please. We ask these things humbly in Christ's name. Amen.